Texas, your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. Today is the power hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, electrical, emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it and we'll answer your questions. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask. We're going to get to your questions in just a little bit. John and Ethan, welcome. Hi, Kevin. Uh, great to be here. Hi, Kevin. As always, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, good to see you guys last week. We don't get to do that very often. Um, I, I got to warn you guys. We are heading into the time of the year where, you know, I say you guys do all the heavy lifting on this show. You're going to have to do the heavy lifting and the light lifting, and you might have to... Uh, Wake me up once in a while. We are we are getting so busy with this tax season, and I am somewhat frustrated with it as well. You know, I've I started doing owner operator taxes back in 1990, and the reason I did it was because my first year in business in '86, I knew nothing about being in business, and you know, I didn't pay any estimated taxes. And at the end of the year, I owed $12,000, and I didn't have $12 in my bank account. And I, it almost put me out of business. Yeah, and I just started making payments on it. And then a, a couple years later, I, I found a tax preparer who said, well, that doesn't sound right based on the numbers. Let me look at it. So I had it looked at. They got the 12000 down to 8000 And I thought, well, that helps. But how does somebody make that big of a mistake? And... So an, another year goes by, I found another tax preparer, and he says, oh, no, you know, they're not understanding that big tax law change we had just had in 1986. He said, let me do your return. He got it down to $4,000. And I thought, okay, something's really, really wrong when I either pay the government 12000 or 4000 I know which one I want. So how many other owner-operators are paying way too much in tax? So I actually learned how to do it myself and started doing it for my friends. And sure enough, the 4000 was correct. And so I, I've been doing this a really, really long time. And what's frustrating me this year is we have, this another, we have another big tax law change. The professionals aren't even getting this right yet, not for owner-operators. I've had to correct a lot of people on this. And yet... We have Amateur Hour on Facebook. I am getting so frustrated with people giving tax <laughs> advice. And, and their, their justification is, well, I had coffee with my CPA, and he said this. Oh, okay. So 10,000 hours of studying tax law, and you're okay with the advice you got over coffee, and you think you should be spreading that around. <laughs> unbelievable and and the problem is some of these people are good at sounding like they know what they're talking about and the advice is just awful so i i normally john you i know you belong to a lot of forums and you see a lot of this kind of advice on different things and i know it makes you crazy 
And the best thing most of the time is just ignore it. You know, getting in arguments with these people is such a colossal waste of time. But on this tax issue, you know, I'm running a group to help people understand these things and get it right. And I feel like I have to dispute them. Like, I can't let that go because it's almost like endorsing it. It absolutely is if you just let it go. You have to at least speak up here and there when, you, when you've got the facts anyway. And you do, obviously. That's just your style. You're like me. It's, it, the proof's in the data, and you'll go through every detail of it, and you will be specialized toward the trucking industry. And these guys are going to regular old CPAs who think they have a, a light grasp on the new law, aren't going to know exactly how it relates to your industry. So, yeah, it's kind of your duty to do that, Kevin. I follow all those same things, all those things you post on. I find it entertaining, and I learn from it, too. I mean, I really there, – there's something to be learned in all of that. So, yeah, I follow along, and, yeah, yeah sometimes it's entertainment, and it's always education. So, yeah. Well, and that's what I have to keep telling myself because I got into one of these this morning, and the other person was very, very persistent, like – it, they kept having to post, and, and I have to, I just have to keep countering and saying, no, that's not correct. You can have an opinion, but this isn't about opinion. This is fact. You know, and at some point he said, well, I'm honored to have so much of your attention. He said it sarcastically, and I said, look, this isn't about you. I, I could care less what you believe. I'm never going to convince you. This is about the other people following this discussion. Yep. So, so well, we're going to have an interesting year. So how much of that applies now? Not, not that this is our forte, but so the new tax law is in effect. So when you're filing everybody's stuff for last year, it doesn't have much of an impact, does it? Zero. Zero impact. Nothing. No, nothing. Zero, yeah, okay. Nothing changed. And this is why it's really confusing, because we're filing tax returns right now, and we're talking about tax law changes, but you have to separate the two. The tax returns were filing, nothing changed, right. not one iota. But starting on right. January 1st, you should be operating knowing the new tax laws because there are some changes that need to be made. We're helping a lot more owner-operators incorporate. You know, that's a math problem, always has been. It has nothing to do with legal protection. It's just a tax issue, and you have to do the math on every individual mm-hmm. case. And we've helped people do that for years, but now the math has changed. So you have to understand how to do the new math to determine should you be incorporated or not, you know, for a tax advantage. And you have to do that now because you only have about 90 days to file that corporation for this year. So we've got to help people with those math numbers, should you be incorporated or not. And those have changed. And and a lot of uh, tax preparers are not up on that. They haven't gone through the calculations to figure that out. I spent about 40 hours writing spreadsheets. Normally, we would be able to run these kind of scenarios through our tax software. But the tax software is not going to be done anywhere near in enough time to you know get your business set up right this year because we have to wait for the IRS to do their forms, then the software companies to make all their changes so the only way to do this was to write a spreadsheet, you know, interpreting the new rules. And the numbers are showing that a lot more owner-operators would benefit from being incorporated than under the old rules. So my point in all this, right. leading up to all this, was, you know, you guys are going to have to do most of the work on this show because I'm kind of brain dead. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, as you know, we we had kind of a rough week last week. I don't have much much new to talk about unless Ethan's got something. Uh, I just have the one the truck that uh, driver dropped off there and comes to having interesting problems. It had been to about eight different shops, and the a guy, the owner, had actually spent the value of the truck on the truck trying to get it fixed. Uof. Uh, it had some interesting issues, and Jr. ended up spending twenty eight hours on the truck and he, in the end he did fix it and the guy he called back today thrilled with it uh, so finally he's got a truck that's out there getting nine and a half miles to the gallon it's a it was a medium duty truck though, okay, so okay. but it's it hasn't run right in the last five years after someone else had their uh, hands in it hands in it yeah yeah, yeah. It didn't run and uh he he had taken it to several shops, and they kept replacing fuel system parts. And after about three sets of injectors and <laughs> a couple fuel pumps, and those high pressure pumps aren't cheap. Uh, they even changed, I think, the turbo at one point. So, guessing, so it turns out it was a calibration issue instead. Yeah. So it took them about what? twenty-eight hours to track the problem down. Now, wow. wow. Uh, so some of these problems aren't simple to solve. But the guy called back thrilled today. He's like. It's out running around great. Well, you wouldn't believe the amount of code that's in these ECMs to operate these things. And sometimes if someone has messed with a line of it somewhere, it's literally finding a needle in the haystack. And uh, this was a situation where we couldn't just rewrite it as stock because of the work that had been, been done to the truck. So we had to go through and figure it out, right? Yeah. That's pretty much what it was, yeah. You know, since I have tax... a few self-created issues in there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Since I have tax on the brain, there's a good analogy there. So, you know, there are a lot of people that kind of know the <laughs> basics, right? You know, they can go in, they can look at the usual stuff, and then if it's beyond that, they're stumped, and it took you 28 hours. How many shops, one, will take that kind of time, and two, have the expertise to be able to take that kind of time? It takes somebody... You know, like your shop, where you guys go above and beyond. You study, you dig, you try to solve problems, you try to, you know, develop your own strategies and, and, you know, ways of fixing these things. You just don't find that very often. And I tell people it's the same thing with taxes. I I do a lot of tax reviews. People send their tax return to me and say, is it being done right? And most of the time, I don't find mistakes. I mean, I occasionally find them, but nothing big because... Look, if your accountant can't do the tax return correctly, then you absolutely need to run the other way. But it goes much farther than just not making a mistake. And I'll talk about that a little bit when I come back, because it's a lot like this issue. You know, you had to go much deeper than just the basics to find this. And that takes a whole different skill level. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothbard.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me. We're mixing up taxes and ECMs, but there's a correlation here. So a lot of times I'll, I'll look at the tax return and I'll tell the client, not a single mistake. They, they did everything right. They understand depreciation. They got your per diem correct. But there's a lot of missed opportunities. You could be paying your kids to work in the business, big tax deduction. Your spouse might be able to take per diem even if she doesn't drive, big tax deduction. You're not deducting vacations. And I can go on and on and on. It's missed opportunities. They didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't do enough. You know, you can look at a lot of ECMs and say, well, there's nothing wrong with the ECM, but it's certainly not optimized. Oh, absolutely, Kevin. Yep. Yeah, so, same deal. so that's the difference. That That's where, yeah, they didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes they do, but but they didn't do everything right. They didn't do everything they could have been doing to optimize the situation. So that's my tie-in between taxes and ECMs. <laughs> that's the whole philosophy. We'll spend the extra time. I, I try really, really hard to not let the guy throw parts and stuff. It's really... The philosophy of mine, I, I, I don't like that. Not that we don't every now and then put the wrong part on a truck. I mean, it's going to happen. Uh, but usually it was in an effort to save you some money or save some time. I mean, we had an issue where uh, we'd, we'd seen a problem with a cat that turned out to be the ECM. They've got these step-up transformers, would you call them, to create the 100 volts for the injectors? Yep. And they break down once in a while. So, you know, a set of injectors for a cat nowadays is up around... Thirty six hundred dollars yeah, ish. Yeah, for forty two hundred bucks installed. An ECM is like fourteen hundred, so it's like, well, it's one or the other. Let's say we do the ECM now and see what happens and then then, then later or yeah, but uh you know, you may end up putting both on farther down the road, but yes, you know, so things happen. But we do our best to not throw parts at things and, and we really try to you know, try to save the guys a month, you know, buck when we can. Yeah, one thing I, I love to do is when speed sensors on for the vehicle speed everybody loves to replace them whenever it's uh they'll put like four of them on there and then i get the truck and i'm like well we're not putting a new speed sensor on it again <laughs> that wasn't it uh, if it didn't solve the problem the first four times it probably won't be <laughs> yeah it's funny how how everybody knows the definition of insanity but they keep doing it anyway yeah it always seems to be a sensor, too, which drives me crazy. There's really not a whole lot to sensors to go wrong. It's, uh, it either works or it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so, but uh, they're always vilified. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always get it afterwards. It worked for a little bit. I'm like, no, it never, <laughs> it didn't fix the problem. John, I, I've probably yep. told you this before because uh, I use this line a lot because when, when I heard this from Mike Beckett, it was such a light bulb moment, but it applies in so many areas. Uh, it was when I was first learning about truck alignments through Mike Beckett, and I was shocked at how easy it was, how simple. I always thought alignment was some black magic voodoo kind of thing because I didn't understand it. But when he described <laughs> it to me and he showed me how to align a truck, three-axle alignment with you know, chalk, a tape measure, and string, um, I'm like, wow. And then I, my first thought was, wait a minute. If this is so damn simple... How come these shops that I go to that have technicians that have been doing this for 25 years don't get this, and I can't get a good alignment on my truck? And he said, Kevin, the first thing you have to realize is he says, there are very, very few people that have 25 years of experience in anything. 
He said, most people have one year of experience 25 times. And that was such a light bulb moment for me. I thought, that's exactly what I'm fighting against. Because I can't count how many times I'm talking (laughs) to somebody who does something for a living. But I know more about it than they do. Just because I, I think and dig and do the research and ask questions and... But that was such a light bulb moment for me, and you can see that in every walk of life. Oh, absolutely. Yep. That, that's the funny one. The alignment one is that that's a neat analogy. We, uh, uh, you know, I, I'd worked on road going cars. You know, I worked at, at Bruce's shop when I was a teenager, and I worked on road going cars and then some racing stuff when I was a kid. And, you know, the shops that I'd worked at or had friends that worked at had these expensive, crazy laser computerized alignment rigs in there and it was it was always sort of a dark you know like, like a black art like you said yeah then i get into racing i'm like man they probably have some really really crazy <laughs> stuff here right. you know what we use in racing we use two bars hung off the front and the back of the car with with a string run down each side that are equidistant from the center of the car so you create a box that's equal to the center of the car and you do all your setup from that <laughs> done it's easy it, it's it's all it needs to be the- Nothing fancy at all. I'm like, well, where are the laser beams and computers and shit? And no, they don't exist. Don't use them. <laughs> that, that was my exact experience. I was so. so shocked when I learned all that. And, and to this day, and when you listen to Mike Beckett explain why those giant, you know, computerized laser alignment racks, why they're the problem, not the solution, they create far more problems than they ever solve. So that's funny how that, you know, I love technology, don't get me wrong, but that oh, all me too. through a stage, and again, it's the garbage in, garbage out. How many people really know how to use that that, that fancy computer alignment rack? Very few. And, you know, all, all technology goes through stages where it's really not efficient. Uh, an old, old racer friend in Pittsburgh has passed away now, but uh, he said when the fuel injection came out on the Corvette, he was racing Corvettes, he was like a pseudo-factory team back in the 60s, and they had the fuel-injected car, and he was like, Man, on a good day, that fuel injection works almost as good as a carburetor. Now, that's changed by these days, but back then, it was... uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting line, Um, because comparing the two now, I mean, ridiculous, but yeah. uh, Well, not even close now, but yeah, for 40 years. Right, (laughs) right, yeah. Well, the other thing is, you know, that you talk about, do they even understand how to use that sophisticated equipment? Were they trained right? But the other big thing right. is how often those need to be calibrated and how they don't get calibrated. Shops don't even bother. And that's a big part right. of the problem. It's not no, hard to no. cal- calibrate a string and a tape measure. So that's uh, all right. Yeah, it, you know, you have to look at it correctly, but that's about it. Yeah. What yep. do you say we get to some questions? Let's take some calls. What's Let, going on? Let's do that. Let's go to yeah. Georgia. Paul, welcome to the program. How long's a piece of string, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, well, that's why you have to calibrate your tape what kind measure. Of string is it? You have to calibrate your tape measure first. Right. Right. So my, my string of choice is a fly fishing line is the best. It's easiest to see. So I use I use fly fishing line and pull it tight. <laughs> High tech. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I, 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 got my, I got my truck back again. So yes. Yeah. $4,800 I've spent this year. I had uh, the, the dosa pump, the DEF. Uh, it was cracked. 
So they replaced that, replaced the knock sensor, all checked okay at this time. Uh, I drove about 100 miles, and guess what? I got another check engine light come yeah, back your on. check engine light again. Yeah. yeah, yeah Next uh, time you're here, we're just going to take the bulb out of that thing. <laughs> yeah, um, barbecue time or something, I don't know. But um, <laughs> if, if, I, if I was to schedule an engine rebuild and get the after-treatment system all sorted out so it all works properly, uh, I, I'm sort of asking you... To guess the length of the piece of string, how long is it going to take Pittsburgh Power, approximately, if all goes well? Right now, we right now we could get that done probably in about ten working days. Uh, we might be able to get it done quicker. I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, okay, so give you a, your prediction yeah. I can't make. But uh, yeah, I'd say uh, eight to ten working days. So if we could have her down for two weeks. Okay. That'd be good. Yeah, well, it's been and uh, we'll we'll. We'll take care of those problems for you one way or another. So, when it when it, I, I got it towed to Cummins last time in Mississippi, and he said, "Well, because when I called him, I said if I get it towed down there because it derated, um, I said, can you look at it today?" And that was the Thursday. He said, "Yeah, I'll look at it." And uh, he said, "If it's something simple, I'll get you fixed and get you rolling." Okay, thanks. Well, Friday lunchtime, I called him. He says. Well, you've got a bunch of code showed up. He says, I won't get to it till next week. So it actually sat there for a week, and they worked on it for less than a day. But it sat there for a week. Yeah. Now, Paul, if you come soon, we're actually booking for next week right now. We're not super busy. Uh, we're selling a guy or two in the shop right now, but I've got an empty bay at the moment. But if you got in here uh, you know, sometime in the next week, or give me a call. But like I said, we're booking for next week already. We're only booking about a half a week out right now, so we'll get you right in. Okay, I might have to do that because it's starting to annoy me. Yeah, yeah. Call me or Pete. Either one of us put you on the schedule. Okay, thanks. All right, Paul. You're See ya. welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Indiana this time. Matt, welcome to the program. Oh, hold on. Hey Matt. guys, thank you guys so much for the show. Hold on, Matt. Sorry about that. You're thanking me, and I got to put you back on hold. I should have been paying attention to the clock. But I was answering tax questions online again. It's all right. You're brain dead. Yeah, I know. I was answering tax questions online again, of all things. That's because I know you and Ethan can handle this. You've got this without me. Except I have to push the buttons when it's time. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. John and Ethan are here with me, and we are going to go back to Matt. So, Matt, go ahead. Hey, thanks, guys, for the show. And uh, appreciate you taking a break, because now I've got you for a whole segment. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> hey, um, uh, I'm a new owner-operator. Uh, in July, I signed my lease purchase for a 2017 Volvo, and I love this truck so far. Um, was what the first question I've got is? Um, uh, I, it kind of sounds like Pittsburgh Power doesn't do a whole lot on Volvos. Am I right? We do not. Okay. All right. So um, I'll skip uh, skip the question about tuning then, and go on to. Um, Maybe this is a, hopefully this is a more general question. I've heard that the flex pipe, I've got great warranty on the after treatment system, but the flex pipe right before it tends to break and the insulation goes into the after treatment system and the dealership does not cover that. Um, could you guys give a recommendation for maybe when I should change a flex pipe to give me the best chance of not dealing with that? I could only go by experience on the Cummins. They break the flex pipe that goes to the after-treatment system as well, and it seems to happen in about a quarter of a million miles. So you might want okay. to change that thing every every 200,000 or so. Uh, you know, take a look at it at that point and then do it and see see what happens. But, uh, yeah, they tend to – they've got one that breaks also. Same, same deal. So that's, that's, that's really valuable to me because that will probably keep me from an expensive – um, redo. And then uh, the next question, um, which which could be kind of general, uh, I heard the guys at uh, Pittsburgh talk one day about cleaning the um, cleaning the veins on the turbo, because you're going to get some carbon buildup on there. Uh, what's a recommend mileage for me to do that? I thought I'd go with about the same 200, 250,000, uh, a quarter of a million. We may have something for you there soon. We're working on this flush system for the EGR system. Uh, I heard about, about that it on the show a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's a, it's a foam. It's this. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's interesting material. It cuts carbon like you would believe. So we we did a system. It runs through the engine, through the exhaust, back feeds and front feeds. It goes each direction and just pushes the stuff everywhere. And it makes its way out. You know, it actually cleans your DPF as well because it goes through everything. It goes the whole way out the pipe. And if you've got any leaks, it'll show up. If you've got some something, some problem, will show up. The stuff will leak out. But what we did was borescope the turbo when we were done, and uh-huh. the, the whole turbo it's got uh, they're either Inconel or some sort of stainless on the veins for the VG, and the aperture that opens and closes for the VG is also stainless. So you know everything else that was steel was still carbon black. You know it wasn't you couldn't see you know much color there. And you stuck the borescope in, and you got to the point where the veins were, and they looked like new. Like, it took everything right off of that stainless or Inconel. And uh, so, yeah, it's something that, again, we're we're pretty sure we're purchasing the system or in the process of purchasing the system to do this right now. Uh, it's, a, it's a shop or company in Ohio who builds it. They're right over in Youngstown. And, you know, it's a really neat system. So we will be able to do that on a Volvo. You know, that won't be a problem at all. Uh, it comes with the adapters to do it on pretty much any engine. So uh, that's something that you'd want to consider, you know, a quarter of a million or so. All right, so uh, say every quarter of a million miles, I could uh, make a trip out to Pittsburgh and just have you clean my emission system for me? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, we could do that, yep. yep. That'd be great. And then while I'm there, I can pick your brains, and you can look at, uh, see if there's anything that you can do for me to keep me running good. 
Absolutely. They're, you know, the usual stuff works. I mean, the fleet air filter and the OPS system and, yeah, all that sort of stuff is worth having. So you need to need to go go with all that. We don't have manifolds. We don't have turbos for that. We don't have, you know, there's a lot of stuff. We don't have tuning for it. Uh, we're, you know, just getting up to speed. I think Ethan's close to having DD15, uh, new DD15 tuning done here shortly. So we're, we're making some progress on the modern stuff, but... Uh, the progress has been slower than I'm comfortable with. So Volvo's pretty far down the line if we if we were to get to that point. Well, new, D, new DD15 tuning is exciting because I think that's still the number one best-selling engine on the market. I think there's more DD15s being sold now than anything. So, uh, And that's how you have to focus your priorities. I mean, it, it, it's you guys put a lot and, of work. And that's, how, that's why it's prioritized. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, you guys put a lot of time and effort and research and development and resources into each engine, and you just can't put that into an engine you only see every once in a while. you got to start at, you know, the best-selling engine and work your way down. Um, let's see. Oh, hey, you know what? Let me get to another call because I'll get off on a story and... We'll take up the whole show. We're going to go to Washington. Chad, hold on. Let me get this in the right order. We're going to go to Missouri. Ken, welcome to the program. Hi, hello, Kevin. Hello, John, and everybody up in Pittsburgh. Uh, Been truck shopping, Kevin, and uh, weeding through these things. First one I looked at had an accident, threw it out. Second one started the engine, check engine light, so threw it out. Third one, front end is shaking terrible, threw it out. It's hard to find a truck. But uh, anyway, well, I've got an ECM report here on one. It's out, it's out, of, it's out of state, but uh, what should you look for on an ECM report? John, Ethan, before you guys um, answer oh, that, what cause, engine? Cause I, let me jump in there first. John, just so you know the process that I teach people, and it's a general, but we use it for... Anytime you have a big list of possibilities, for example, there's tens of thousands of trucks for sale. Most people look for a truck they want. So they see a truck, they like the model, they like the color, the interior's in good shape, they drive it, nothing's wrong, they buy it. The, the approach I take is I turn that equation completely upside down. And I say, every time you look at a truck, I want you to work as hard as you possibly can to eliminate it. Find some reason not to buy this truck. And as soon as you find one, move on. Because when you get to the truck that no matter how hard you try, you can't find a reason not to buy it, now you know you've got the right one. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's why, you know, something, as as soon as Ken looked at a truck and found something, he threw it out. So now he's got a truck with an ECM report. So... Uh, Ken, what what engine and what year? Twenty thirteen. It's a T six sixty. It's got an ISX, and it says here it's a CM twenty two fifty. Okay. Now, does this the last ECM report I looked at with one of our remote dealers? It actually had listed in Cummins the number of times it failed to do a regen. Uh, in that on this report. Ah, oh, that I would be a little concerned. <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, that, that, there's a lot of great complete. info on there, actually. Yeah, that to me, uh, especially on an ISX, would probably be enough reason to just move on. That's a lot of incomplete regens. 
yeah, the, what, the trucks that we chose out for them were the the two of the three that we chose. Uh, both of them had zero failed regens. Okay. What kind of truck are you looking for in particular? We, we've got a line uh, on a, a nice uh, fleet of trucks that uh, we've got one here right now that we're uh, we're doing quick over on for a customer. Uh, it's got a kind of a customer to customer deal. A larger fleet that we do some business with is turning over some trucks right now. Uh, these happen to be some fleet CFI trucks, uh, and they're T six sixties, single single drive axle with a, a tag axle. Um, ISA oh, wow. 10 speed, 250 something gears. Yeah, love the spec. Oh, that should work well. Right. I well, like the spec too, yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you're interested, uh, you could email me. If, if you'd like to email me those ECM reports, I could go over them for you or we could talk about them. Uh, they should be in PDF format. I imagine they gave them to you. They just give yeah. it to you printed. Yeah, I got it. I've got so it. Go. This one I've got in PDF. Go. Feel free to forward that to me, John at PittsburghPower.com, and I'll, I'll give it a look and over, and we'll, we could talk about it. Or if you get some more in the future, if you want to say, hey, I don't like that truck to them, you maybe have another one, uh, yeah, I'll do that for you, too. But, yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, I say they, they've got a lot of, lot of these all over all over the country. We started, you know, the closest closest ones here in Kansas City, and then, you know, now they, they shoot me one for that's up in Omaha. They think they got a couple down in Joplin, Springfield. So, you know, just work, working your way out. Uh, on that, okay, from, from nearest to farthest. But I'd be glad to take a look at those ECM reports. Uh, either myself or Ethan could take a look at it and tell you, you know, what, what raises flags and what doesn't. How many yeah, miles are on this truck? Oh, hold on a second. Let me bring Ken back. Ken, how many miles on this one? Uh, Five hundred twenty-seven thousand on this particular okay. one. Got it. Okay, um, that's a lot of regen found. Yeah. So, I think so, too. And rather than, since they have the, so uh, many of them, rather than try to take a chance on that and figure out why, just, just move on to the next one on the list. I think you're better off. All right. John, thank you for that service, by the way. That's awesome. Um, I'm doing that for people that are in my class. Oh, right no problem. Now. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. All right. We're going to get to a break. Are we done? know if this is the last segment or not but i don't if it is thanks for joining us see you next time if it's not we'll be coming back i'm kevin rutherford how close are you on this I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. Now it's the final segment. John, Ethan, I told you guys, I, you got to help me out here. I can't even keep track of what segment we're on. <laughs> At a moment of panic there. I didn't know if the show was over, what I should be saying, but uh, we've got time for a couple more questions, so we're going to get to it right now. We're going to go to Washington. Chad, welcome to the program. 
Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind Good. today? Good. How are you? Oh, oh well, i got to get my truck washed, and I had a couple of things. Um, I had a coolant leak in, on the engine, and there's coolant all over down under there, and I've always kind of wondered about getting the engine washed when I go to, like, a Blue Beacon or something and what I should be watching out for, what to tell them to stay away from. Um, you know, I mean, driving up to a Blue Beacon and having the engine washed when the engine's hot kind of throws some red flags in my head. It always has. I, I guess... There are differing opinions on this. I kept mine washed. Our, our, my, my drivers were instructed to wash the engine every time they washed the truck. So my engine was as clean as the day it was new when it had half a million miles on it. So I, I'm pretty obsessive about that. And I'd go through and I'd spray some WD on the uh, electrical connectors and things, and I'd keep it keep it you know a little bit of WD-40 or something like that sprayed on to keep things from rusting up. But I I always washed the engine and never had a problem. So yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't see that as an issue personally, but uh, some others may have an, have another opinion, but it was uh, part of my maintenance always. Uh, I, the only thing I'd be careful about is on the older Series 60, if a bolt has fallen behind the ECM, you can't see. Yeah, some of the Series 60s, the, the ceiling on the on the ECM is questionable when it's good. So that, that somewhat could be an issue on a, on and yet, a Series 60. They left a perfect gap for a bolt to fall back there and vibrate a hole through the cover. Oh, man. Yep. I've seen that a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. So the dd15 so i don't need to worry about that but oh yeah um, one thing yeah, no that, problem there it is well those are kind of happening I, I, rare, I rarely see those things dirty until the until the uh until the rocker uh, box cracks and, and leaks oil everywhere but every other than that they don't leak anything normally those, those things are pretty tight well i had uh, a they do end up leaking EGR. cool on the uh, on the water manifold that that happens too but well, yeah. i had an egr actuator i guess it was the original one on the engine that kind of went bad and it was just leaking out all over the place. I've drove about 50 miles and dumped about five gallons of coolant on the right side of the engine, and it's all over, you know, from there down. And I've also got a... I did the radiator, and a couple of hoses, for some reason, are kind of leaking out a little bit at a time and kind of leaving this uh, red spots mm -hmm. after it dries kind of all over stuff and i want to get rid of it so when i take it back to freightliner they can fix the problem and all this stuff's not all over everything and um, another thing that's kind of going on is uh some of the pulleys up front for some reason i don't know i was down south and there was a lot of de-icer on the roads and stuff thought maybe that might have something to do with it as well but they're starting to squeal a little bit and i'm not sure what to do about that either how many miles are on them uh there's seven hundred thousand. see some of that stuff you're just gonna need to replace they're sealed bearings and all those idlers and it's right. good maintenance i think if you probably even studied your manual they probably recommended changing them by now but at some point, you got to put uh, belt tensioners and idlers and, and a new belt on there. Uh, that stuff does not last forever. So when you start hearing right. those things squeak, those those seal bearings tend to dry out after so long, and uh, next thing you know, it's going to turn red hot and go flying off. So it's uh, you know when they start making some noise, you you just just replace those. It's usually not they're not terribly expensive. I don't think. 
Yeah, if you ignore it long enough, it will be a problem. Yeah. They, they can lock up, too. I've seen that. They yeah. shred your belt. Yeah, and they shred the belt, and you're just stuck alongside the road then. But, yeah, at 750, <laughs> they're all still original. It would probably be just, just plain good maintenance to, uh, to, uh, to, to replace them. That's funny. All right. Chad, going to cut you loose. I think we got your answers there. John, I just sent you an oil sample. Um, in chat, so it's a PDF. You I'm might looking be right now. Yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting because there's some things on there I don't normally see, so I wanted you to see that when we're going to go to Canada and talk to Abe about it. Abe, welcome to the program. All righty, thank you. Uh, yeah, that oil sample I, uh, was my that- first thing. I also got a question about uh, some performance issues on this engine. Okay, so let's talk about the oil sample because you have some bizarre stuff going on here. Um, That column for water, I have looked at thousands and thousands of oil samples. I can't remember it coming up in years and years. Normally, we don't see water in oil. We see the remnants of coolant, which are sodium and potassium. The interesting thing is you have high sodium, Mm -hmm. but no potassium. Or very little, but you have water. I mean, well, water showed up as the sodium. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, the sodium. I was because uh, I've been running in a lot of salt and everything up here, like a lot of that, salt on the roads and everything. So I was assuming that's probably where it came from. It, it can, and if if the mm. water wouldn't have been there, this wouldn't have. I wouldn't even question this. We do see in the winter time. We do see either sodium or potassium show up on their own. And if we do, we just put it down to road chemicals because they use sodium-based and potassium-based chemicals. And if we only see one, then we usually just chalk it up to its road contamination. But I almost never see water. And you've got water showing up in greater than 0.5 which doesn't sound like much, but it is. We almost never see that. So I, I, I'd have mm. to do some digging to find yeah. out, is it just possible that your coolant is so over-diluted? Do you know if you've got a good coolant balance between water and, and uh, ethylene glycol? Not where, not in the part of the world where he is. It can't be. He's, he's up in... Uh He's in the Great White North, yeah, so it's got to be... The, yeah. the coolant, I do have the red... I do have the red stuff in there, the extended life, and it's not been in there very long. Like, I changed that, not... I don't remember exactly, but like a few months so, ago. So that that's a problem we'd have to solve, and I'm not yep. even sure where to start. I would I could talk to the engineers at Polaris and get some advice from them. But you've got a couple others. Your silicon jumped up to 23 has anybody been in the engine lately, like the top end? or? Mm-hmm. I did the top end. I've, I do everything myself, pretty much, anyways. Okay. But I did the top end. Uh, yeah, I did the top end that was in between that last sample there. So, John, that, that's probably enough to show that silicon number, but, right, 23? Yeah, that's, that'd be enough. Yeah, it's just dust from the inside the shop or whatever. Um Mm-hmm. So this water, the only thing we'll put water in oil is uh, is condensation. So the only way that's going to happen, you, you would you would have seen the potassium up or you know something else if it was actually coolant. Uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. go with uh, I'd look at your crankcase breathing, make sure this thing's breathing well, 
if this was a road-going car, I'd say it's a clogged PCV valve is what would cause the condensation in the oil and then sludgy oil after that. So I would really, uh, and especially where you are where it's hot and cold and hot and cold and a bit humid up there, you're going to have condensation in that crankcase. And if it's not breathing properly, mm. um, it, that could show up as water. It might end up mixing in with the oil before it burns off. And is it your oil temp, how high does your oil temp run? Does it run beyond the point or no? Don't, I don't have an oil temp gauge, or I do, but uh, the sensor's broke on right. it. The uh, oil temp is not working. So. Okay, that's, uh, you know, to me it would be the oil's running too cold if it's not going to burn the water off that's uh, it's gotten in there from condensation. Okay. And make sure mm-hmm. you're breathing well. Check your breather tube. Make sure your breather tube's not plugged. I, I'd okay, I'll check that. I'd pull that valve cover off where the breather is and make sure the uh, the baffling in there is not uh, sludged up. And they make and that had, that's nice and clean. I did see some fuel, though, on this uh, last sample as well. Yeah, you're 2% on now, that, too. You've been doing some yeah, idling, maybe? And, uh, well, I have some, not a lot, but I noticed some uh, what seemed to be injector problems, uh, like when I start it would like almost like backfire at first and then a big right. black cloud of smoke when after it starts and so over this weekend i pulled out the injectors and the o-rings were broken and i put new o-rings on the injectors and it's running it's idling a lot smoother and it's it's running perfect now that's completely gone away so i'm, I'm guessing that's okay, probably yeah. where that came from now we yeah you may yeah. very well have an o-ring weeping a little bit into the uh, oil there now we do have another issue i want to get to and it, it, there's a confusing factor you have lead, which is usually bearings, and we're concerned, so we start watching for copper, and your copper's climbing, but it's climbing so much that I don't mm-hmm. think it's bearings. I think it's oil cooler. But that's a confusing factor. So, Because uh-huh. it looks like it climbed too much to just be a bearing. We only got a little bit of lead, and all of a sudden copper went through the roof. This is a tough call, though. Um, I'm not sure if I would inspect the bearings or just do a short oil sample to see if we can spot any other trend. Uh, You win the prize for the most complicated oil sample I've seen in a little while. Um, We are all out of time this time. I've got to wrap it up. We'll do it again real soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rothenberg.